Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. Reporting from the United Kingdom, I'm Stefan Cohn. And in the U.S. of A., I'm Andrea Ballard. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're introducing a classic English favorite, lemon drizzle cake. It's everywhere in London, and I'm sharing one of my favorite recipes to make at home. We're also reviewing our sugar cookie bars from last week and dipping back into the preheated book club to talk about summer favorites and fall must-reads. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, back in episode 40, I think it was, you were talking about some of your challenges with the oven in your kitchen that you're experiencing. That's right. So listeners, um, I just moved to London and I'm getting used to a brand new kitchen. It's been just uh, over two months now. So that's uh, all new to me, all new kitchen in London for me. All new kitchen, all new measurements, all new temperatures, (laughs) all new bakeware. So challenges abound. But the one thing I always have trouble getting in my mind is kind of a visual. And I think you told me you have double ovens now. Yes, they stack one on top of each other. Mm -hmm. One on top of the other. Okay, because I experienced a new style oven recently in two different houses. I'd never seen this before. And I started wondering if that's what you have. But these were actually side by side. So when I went to visit my friend in California a couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple of months ago, back in uh, the end of August, she had what I would call an auxiliary oven. And so what it was, was a regular size oven on the right and to the left, a half that size oven. So just as tall, but half the width. So skinnier? skinnier. So imperfectly fit, for example, an eight by eight pan in it perfectly. Um, And it fit six baked potatoes, for example. (laughs) So it's, you know, taller and skinnier. It had the same temperature measurements and options. And I asked her about that. And she said, you know, that was in the house when we moved in. So I don't know anything about it. And she actually has a commercial oven. It was gas. It started with the letter D, but I don't remember the name of it. And she said she loves it because, you know, when you're not wanting to heat up your kitchen, using that smaller oven puts out less heat and you just, you know, don't have to get the whole thing as hot. So I thought, well, that's interesting. I've never seen that. That just must be a commercial kitchen thing. Well, then a few weeks later, I went to the Oregon coast to Cannon Beach and we were in a rental house that was from... I think the 1940s, they said, and they'd kept a lot of the period fixtures in the house and they had an auxiliary oven. What? So it's not a new thing. It is not a new thing. It was a beautiful oven. I should have taken a picture of it. It was white. It was electric. So it wasn't gas. And same thing on the left side, there was a um, same height as a regular oven, but, you know, another door. And it was uh, probably about the third of the width of the regular oven. So again, it perfectly fit in an eight by eight pan. And I did a little baking at that rental house. And one of the things, I'm sure our listeners have figured this out a long time ago, but this is the first time I figured this out. And I was so proud of myself. I knew I wanted to do some baking on that weekend vacation, but 
And they told us the kitchen was fully stocked, which of mm-hmm. course you can never trust mm-hmm. in a in a rental because right, people right. have different definitions of what that means. Exactly. So normally I would have probably a huge box or bin with all of my ingredients. You know, I would bring my flour and my sugar and my butter and all this sort of stuff. I was making those blueberry crumb bars from Smitten Kitchen. Mm-hmm which, by the way, are amazing. (laughs) And um, I suddenly realized now for this particular recipe, it has a crumb layer on bottom, it has a blueberry filling in the middle, and then it has a different crumb layer um, on top. Well, not different, but, you know, separated. And so I realized, oh, I could put together that whole crumb layer in one Ziploc bag and just bring it with me. So I just measured out, you know, the the flour, the baking soda, the sugar, the brown sugar, all the things that I needed for the bottom layer. And the top layer, just a little bit different because it had like some nuts and some coconut in it. That was some stuff that I added. And so it was really fun. I brought my 8x8 pan because, again, I wasn't sure they were going to have that. But I just brought that 8x8 pan. I brought one Ziploc bag with all of the crumb topping, one Ziploc bag with all of the top layer, and then one little Ziploc bag with the stuff that needed to be mixed in with the blueberries, like the cornstarch and the sugar and the lemon zest and stuff. And so I had everything I needed. It was like a little pre-baking mix, but it was all done homemade. Yeah, it's kind of like you acted as your own sous chef before you got going. So when you were there, you just, it's almost like using like a homemade box mix in a way, you know, just like dump it in the bowl, ingredients and off you go. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and and no stress about, do I need measuring utensils? Do I need, you know, am I going to have this? I, mean, I knew I had everything I need and it was just so easy. And I thought now I sort of see the appeal of box mixes as well, because when you go to do the cooking, all you have to worry about is the procedure. You don't have to worry about the ingredients. This sounds like something I could really run with. And I have a whole Pinterest board <laughs> devoted to a section I call Busy Woman Cooks. And it's all about, you know, like big batch make ahead meals. Like you do your whole week of casseroles, like on Sunday night, like you do all your cooking, you spend all day and then you get stuff in the freezer. Yes. This sounds like something if life slows down here for me in London, I would love to do because then you can have these kind of things just ready to go. You don't have a lot of time, yes. but you need something for a spur of the moment, like school event or some kind of gathering and then you don't have to scramble quite as much i this i'm putting a pin in this this is really great great um yes i'm I'm very excited about it and something you said about the oven made me remember were you ever at um our house when we lived on queen anne in seattle no well it was a 19 uh like 19 teens house and it had a like I swear the original oven that we really groused about it was again it was beautiful it was one of those huge huge ovens and I think when you were talking about the door next door to the oven ours had it wasn't another oven but it was a whole drawer that was a warming oven so it was that same kind of space it occupied that same kind of space that I'm envisioning your friend's auxiliary oven like same unit everything and then you would just pull it out and you could put in you know your dishes or you could put in bread to warm up something like that and so yeah I mean I guess this isn't anything new under the sun but um it sounds really great I, well I love and it. The, I have a warming oven now and my temperature range on it is actually different than my regular oven even though it's the same unit it goes lower, but it doesn't, it, it starts lower, but it doesn't go as high. And the, these auxiliary ovens at my friend's house and the rental, both of them had the same temperature set point as the regular oven. And because it was tall and skinny, it had two racks. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I guess, you know, just depending on what you're doing, I mean, 
The downside of it was that you couldn't fit a sheet tray in it, yes. uh, you know, and I do a lot of tray baking, so yeah. that wouldn't really work as well for me, but it works. You know, I said, as I said, it fits an eight by eight, it fit potatoes. Um, gosh, what else did we do in it? I mean, we just used it for multiple things that weekend. Um, oh, we used it for the donuts. It fit the donut baking tray. So I, I just thought it was really handy. Yeah, and I think, you know, so my um, ovens here are smaller it, just in general, both of them. So they're stacking, and they're just smaller in general than a standard U.S. size oven. But um, the one on top is even a little smaller than the one on the bottom. And, of course, the energy standards in Europe are more stringent, I think, than in the U.S., just as a kind of a general basic outline. And so I think it is for that same reason you were talking about. You don't want to heat up a huge oven if you're just baking you know, three potatoes or, you know, spend as much energy if you are, you know, doing something that can fit into a smaller unit. It doesn't, it doesn't use as much energy. It doesn't, you know, it heats up much quicker. So I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. If not the fact that I have to shrink my cookie sheets down quite a bit, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, Well, in other news, Andrea, as you know, and uh, listeners, we want to remind you that coming up in November is Preheated's first anniversary, and we're planning a month of really fun shows, and we'd like your help, listeners, if you have a favorite preheated recipe that we tackled during our first year, we would love it if you would let us know, and there is um, some links up on Facebook. You can send us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com and let us know. Uh, we have, you know, our raspberry flummery, which Andrea is a word just here in the UK that they use kind of inter- interchangeably with the word for nonsense. So I'm seeing this word in non <laughs> in non-cooking connotations like all the time. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. So, Um, so, you know, we had our raspberry flummery, we had our banana pudding, we had our spicy chipotle bark, a whole year's worth of very different things. And we'd love to know what you responded to and loved making and eating the best. So just um, head on over to Facebook or shoot us an email and let us know. Yes, we look forward to that. Well, it is time to talk about those big batch baking, and we are going to talk about sugar cookie bars that we introduced to you back last week in episode 43, and we baked. This came from the website Together as a Family, and Stefan, how did these turn out for you? These were great, Andrea. Um, So listeners, these are a fairly straightforward uh, sugar cookie bar cookie. So if you think of a really nice buttery, eggy vanilla base, uh, and then this one is topped with a cream cheese frosting and cooked in a, in a tray, in a cookie sheet tray. And, uh, that was my first challenge because (laughs) as I just mentioned, a standard size, uh, sheet pan does not fit in these ovens I have here. So I use my 10 by 15, which is as big as it gets in my oven here. So that meant I have had to have this recipe. Um, however, that still worked really great. And I still got more than two dozen cookies. So I still thought it was a very nice amount. Uh, you know, I am unashamedly a huge fan of those soft sugar cookies that are at the um, grocery store bakeries kind of year round. And the only thing that changes about them is the seasonal sprinkles. So at 4th of July, they'll have like (laughs) red, white, and blue. And at Halloween, they'll have black and orange. And (laughs) they're the same like petroleum-based sugar cookie. And I dearly love them. I have to really 
you know, say like once a year, Stefan, once a year. So I was so happy because these were like the healthier version of those cookies to me. Um, everything came together very well. I don't have any um, real quibbles with the recipe other than in the frosting. I always, always sift my um, powdered sugar when I'm making frosting just so that all the lumps come out. Uh, and Andrea, I had a huge success with the frosting, which listeners in the past um, here in London, where I've just moved, I'm having a really hard time finding uh, a block style cream cheese. So I, I looked at this recipe. I thought, here we go. It's cream cheese. It's not going to work again. I went name brand this time and I bought the Philly brand here in the UK. It's called soft cheese. I went full fat. I thought, all right, this is going to be as close as I can get. And it right. acted to me more like block cream cheese. So my frosting was a success. Oh, good. Yes, that was really, really nice. Um, one interesting thing is that the food coloring that I found here is um, a natural food color. So it's made with vegetable blends. So for example, the pink food coloring is made of beets. Um, oh. The blue is made of spirulina, which I think is like a... Yes, that's that it, green algae yes, kind of thing. Yes, yeah. right. And anyway, I just, as I'm reading all the labels here in fascination, that's one thing I, I discovered. Um, so I made mine a really nice kind of pretty pastel pink. We did a little bit of edible glitter for a nice little shine on top. The only thing for me, um, I might undercook this a bit next time. It was, I, I like them a little chewier, not so crispy. That's just a preference. These were very tasty and a huge big batch. Uh, how about how about you, Andrea? What'd you think? I had equal success with these. I am not usually a huge sugar cookie fan. I only do them about once a year at holiday time. So when I was starting to make these, I, I remember kind of thinking to myself, eh, I wonder if I'm really going to like these or not. And I was pleasantly surprised to find out how well they turned out. I, I ran into a little bit of a challenge. So the recipe is for a cookie sheet version or a you know a big batch and she states in the first line prepare a cookie sheet either 12 by 17 or 13 by 18 I my cookie sheets are 13 by 18 so that's what I used and I found that the batter didn't quite reach to the edge okay. so I I didn't fill it in completely because I decided I wanted more of a cookie bar layer as opposed to equal cookie bar and equal frosting. I wanted, you know, maybe two thirds cookie bar and one third frosting. Yes, got it. That's kind of what I was thinking. So it didn't completely fill my 13 by 18 pan, but that was okay. I just sort of, you know, stopped short and kind of tried to make a nice little edge there. And then, you know, using the mixer, just creaming the butter and sugar, the eggs, the vanilla, that all went great. Um, and then adding in the dry ingredients, that was really easy, spreading it onto the baking sheet. It was a little bit of a challenge getting it, um, I always have a challenge getting things flat, not not flat, even. Mm -hmm. You know, I always worry, I think next time I might take like a little mini rolling pin and kind of use that to try and make it about the same all over and, and kind of flat. Well, or you know what, and, um, you know what I did here is I wet my hands a little yeah. bit. I, and so oh, they're just a little okay. damp, and you can, they, then you can press it with clean hands, and it doesn't stick to your fingers at all. So that works really well. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Yep. And then I did kind of underbake them. So that's interesting what you said. Yes. I, I personally would have wanted to bake them longer. I, it says 10 to 15 minutes, and I think I set my timer at 10 and looked at it. 
And the reason I pulled them earlier than I wanted to, my friend Barb, who always does my holiday cookies with me, had kind of taught me that with sugar cookies, you know, not to, you don't want them golden brown all over. You want them kind of golden brown on the edges, but the center you still want pale. And I'm glad now I did that because I see sort of that softness is what you're after. And, um, yeah, the frosting, I, I went a little rogue, not crazy, but I did not measure my powdered sugar just because I had, a, I was fairly certain about, I, you know, they said four cups and I was fairly certain I had about that much. I didn't sift it. I didn't even think about that, but it turned out just absolutely fine. Um, and, you know, it's just mixed in with butter and cream cheese. And then what I really loved in the frosting was that almond extract. Agreed. Yes. Yep, it was just enough of a flavor flavor difference between the base and the frosting. Also, I thought, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought that made a big difference. The main reason I love these, they were really easy to make pretty. So normally my frosting talents are not that great. I actually used a purple frosting. I decided not to do pink. I was bringing these to a potluck and I knew that one of the little girls who was going to be there, she has blue hair. And I saw she was, I think it was even on our, it might've been on our preheated page or it might've been on her mom's personal page. Um, She had made some cookies like with blueberries in them and was doing sort of some blue stuff. So I thought, oh, I'm going to bring something that's blue. (laughs) And then I bought sprinkles that I'm sure are marketed in this area for the Seahawks because they were blue, green, and gray. Yeah. And, um, so I frosted those, I cut them up, and then, Stefan, you'll recall, I sort of sent you a panic text saying, do you think these will hold up? It turned out I made them I made them on Wednesday, and the potluck that I was going to was on a Friday night, and meantime, I had to drive to Seattle and have my car in a parking lot all day, and you said, I think the cookie would hold up, but I'm not sure about the frosting, so I went ahead and got my cooler out, and I put a couple of those freezer bags in the bottom, and then I made these bars. I cooled the bars completely. I uh, frosted them. I cut them. I put them in a container with parchment in between them and then put them in the cooler with the container on top of the um, freezer bags. And it was perfect. I mean, I got there Friday night. I pulled them out. My car had been sitting in fairly hot situations for most of the day and they were absolutely fine. Yeah, I also responded to you that I would have suggested you get there and frost them on site, but I think that was against potluck etiquette. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that would have been a challenge too, just to think about, um, because then I, of course, cut them after frosting. So then I would have needed my knife and all this other thing. So it worked out really well. I thought they were really pretty. Again, I've mentioned this before. I love things that are baked in a sheet and then you can cut to the size you want according to the crowd that you're serving. And so I think that's always a really fun thing. Almost all of these were eaten on Friday night. I still had about one layer of my container, and it worked out well. I was headed over to a church camp, and I just brought them with me. And so then when I got there, I cut them in half. So then I had smaller portions for more people. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing, the green and the blue sprinkles held up beautifully. The gray ones spread a little bit color-wise, which was not attractive. Mm. So that was mm. that was kind of funny. I thought, I wonder what dye they used that caused the gray ones to, to melt a little bit while the green ones and the, and the blue ones held up. But anyway, I was thrilled with these. I thought they were tasty. I, you know, like I said, I made them on Wednesday and we were still eating them on Sunday and I thought they tasted really, really good. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. It was a nice change for my family and I as well, who are 
gravitate more toward a chocolate cookie or a chocolate dessert or a chocolate bar cookie. And so this was really almost refreshing in a way that it was a different flavor, you know, even just a different look. It was very pretty. You know, you certainly can do any color frosting you would like. They just something about them was just very sweet. And I really liked it. Uh, went, you know, beautiful, easy, tasty, and way more healthy than those loft house. So <laughs> I think you're right. And, you know, the only thing I would suggest doing differently, listeners, if you decide to make these and bring them to an event is I had numerous people say to me, what are these? You know, they, I think people don't think of sugar cookies as a bar cookie. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's really easy just, you know, slap a little card up front or a sheet of paper that says sugar cookie bars. Because the minute I told anyone sugar cookie bars, they said, oh, great, I love sugar cookies. But uh, I think they just weren't quite sure what they were about to take because that is a little bit different and unusual from your typical bar cookie. Yeah, good point. Well, those were the sugar cookie bars from Together as Family. That's the blog. And that recipe is up on our website. And let us know if you tried that, how it went for you. And we'd love to see pictures always, too. So we are going to move on to our next packable snack, which is a lemon drizzle cake. This lemon drizzle cake is one of my favorites. Lemon drizzle cake is very ubiquitous in England as a tea time treat. You see it in coffee shops. You see it when you go out to have tea. It's it's kind of everywhere. It's a very casual, almost rustic looking loaf cake that is just intensely lemony. And I realize that I have loved a version of lemon drizzle cake for many, many years. At my college, uh, Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri, my Program. Shout out, to, shout out to the Stevens yeah, girls. <laughs> uh, my program is a very small college and my program especially. So uh, I was an English major. And I think when I was graduating, we had 11 people total in my program. And my wonderful professor, Judith Clark, on special occasions or we would have readings, different kind of, you know, um, departmental get togethers. She would make the most divine essentially what is a lemon drizzle cake in a bunt bunt cake and we would just all clamor for judith's cake judith if you're listening i know you've been very very tight-lipped with this recipe over the years but i'm just imploring <laughs> you once again <laughs> for all the free heaters out there how lovely that recipe would be um essentially you're looking at a vanilla cake and then you skewer it when it's hot out of the oven and pour on a lemon sugar syrup. It soaks down into the cake, infusing the cake with just a very, very intense lemon flavor. And away you go. It is one of my favorites. And this recipe is from a cookbook, Andrea, that you got for me for my birthday a couple of years ago. Oh, very presciently, it is a British cookbook and it is called... Deliciously Vintage by Victoria Glass, and it is full of all kinds of just wonderful cakes and cookies and tea time treats. And I still have the birthday card that you put with it. I like to use it as a little bookmark, and I'm going to read oh it to gosh. you because it's so sweet. The oh, gosh, I'm nervous. <laughs> no, no, it's very <laughs> nice. It says, little girls know something that adults have forgotten inside. Anyone, and I mean anyone, can wear a crown if they want to. Happy birthday. But here's what you've written. I think you are one of the exceptions to this rule. I'm guessing you're well aware of just how fabulous you would look in a crown. <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> I mean, so that always gives me a chuckle. Any excuse. Always gives me a chuckle when well, I use this book. 
So Andrea, do you have I love any- the, the, the one thing I love about you telling me that story is when you told me we were going to bake this cake and you said you got it for my birthday a few years ago, I remember thinking to myself, how does Stefan remember that? Like, I didn't remember giving you this. So how did you remember that I gave it to you? So that's a great tip to keep the card in the book because... Um, I am often gifted books or things and, and, you know, it's really nice to know and be able to tell someone I just made this or I, you know, I, of course, I, I guess I could also just scribble a note in, you know, on the front, on the fly leaf, but that's a great idea to save the card and pop it in there. Yeah, and then you always, I always need a, a bookmark in a cookbook, you know, if I'm just like yeah. leafing through to find oh, different yeah. recipes or what have you. And then I always see this and it makes me smile and think of you. So the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. So Andrea, have you had a lemon drizzle so, cake before? No, that and that was my one question. Um, I'd never heard of a lemon drizzle cake. I am super excited by it. I just like that term, drizzle cake. And I also have a Google search set up on my computer, an, an alert. And one of my searches is baking trends because I love to hear things that are going out. So just to let you know, drizzle cakes are listed as a huge trend for 2017. So preheated you know, we're, we're <laughs> cutting edge. We're once right again. on once again. Once again, we're right on track. Well, um, but as I took a look at this recipe, the one thing that I was curious about is. Is this a pound cake? In a way, yeah. I mean, okay. In fact, Ina Garten, Barefoot Contessa, has a lemon pound cake that is very similar to this whole kind of okay. genre. You know, like an eggy, vanilla-ish um, cake. Then usually there's lemon zest or some kind of citrus zest in the batter, and then you pour over the lemon. So, yep, you can think of it that way. This Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, this it's cake- always nice to know if it's something I've, you know, tackled before and been successful with. But um, I started thinking, well, I I think, you know, pound cakes are called pound cakes because they usually use a pound of butter. And this one only had seven, seven tablespoons, which is even a little shy of a stick. So I was kind of excited about that. Yeah, it's it's very straightforward, Andrea. You know, even calling it a cake, don't don't get um, you know, it's, it's a loaf, almost more like a zucchini bread or something of that nature is it's how easy it comes together. It does call for self-raising flour. And that is a big deal in England. You can make your own and I don't exactly know the, uh, conversion measurements, but that would be very easy to find online if you didn't want to buy a bag of that. Uh, I have one now because okay. it's very popular in cooking and baking here, but very, very easy comes together really nicely. So that is, um, we have that recipe reprinted from the book, uh, Deliciously Vintage, up on our website. So go to our website, preheatedpodcast.com, for this week's lemon drizzle cake. I can't wait to try it. Thank you for finding that one for us. And speaking of books, let's step into the preheated book club. Um, the summer, the summer is over. We're back in school, and I don't know about you, but I just totally binged on books this summer. Two of, well, actually, two of my favorites, and one that I wanted to give a warning about. Oh, <laughs> Um, so one of my favorites was Faithful by Alice Hoffman. I love Alice Hoffman. She's one of my favorite writers. Uh, she has this book. It was a, it was a little disturbing in parts. I have to be honest. There were some things that happened to the, the main character that were painful to read about. Uh, but there is a happy ending. And while this certainly is not a, 
book about cooking in any way. I mean, it's it's contemporary fiction. The main character does go through a period where she eats nothing but Chinese food every day. And she she mentioned General So's chicken. And my daughter at some point, I you know, she said, what are you reading? And I said, you know, I'm reading this book about this girl. And well, what is she doing? I said, well, right now she's eating General So's chicken. And she said, what what's that? And I was like, huh? How do you not know General Tso's chicken? So I found a recipe to make that at home, and I did make it. So I thought that was kind of funny. It's not a book about cooking, but I did make a recipe inspired by the book. Mm, always good. Yeah, Alice Hoffman is so wonderful. I love her, too. Oh, so wonderful. The second book that I wanted to introduce is called 44 Scotland Street, and this is an actual series of books by Alan, Alexander McCall Smith. He's the author who wrote the number one ladies detective agency series. Have you read those? I have read those. And I've read another series by him, but I don't think it's this one. Tell me more. Maybe it will jog my memory. Yeah. The other series he has uses a woman called Isabel Dalhousie. And I only read one of those before I gave up on it. I didn't like it at all. And she (laughs) she kind of goes on solving mysteries. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. I I have read that series. Okay. So 44 Scotland Street. have not read this one. 44 Scotland Street is very different. The I think the thing that's interesting about it is he actually wrote it as a weekly series for the Scotland newspaper. And so every week, you know, and it, that kind of makes me think back to Dickens and how, you know, very often that's how books were written back then, as you would do kind of a new chapter every week. Right, serialized. And, yeah. Yes. So I really liked it from that perspective. Um, I've never been to Scotland and it is very, very rich in Scottish uh, characters, Scottish descriptions, uh, even to the point where there's a lot of like Scottish politicians and there's footnotes. And so there's a lot of things that I'm sure I'm missing that are funny or important that I just don't understand because I don't know who these people are. Um, I I enjoyed the first one, 44 Scotland Street, and then the second one, I started to kind of fade a bit on it. There were some characters who would go off into kind of these long tangents. So there were almost whole chapters that I either skimmed or skipped, Mm -hmm. and I started thinking to myself, this is the problem with a serialized thing. He didn't have an editor. He He didn't have someone to sit down with a whole book and say, wow, these three families really work, but this other character in this story is really not going anywhere and it doesn't work. And so I just thought that was kind of interesting. There was one particular family that is in the series that he follows a mother and her husband and their young child who's kind of a prodigy. And they were the most interesting and fascinating to me. And I wish almost that it had just been a book about them. The last book that I read this summer, and this is kind of a warning for you, it is called The Woman in Cabin 10. It's by an author named Ruth Ware. And it was one of those, you've read The Girl on the Train, so you might like this book. And I, I did read the whole thing. So there is something to be said for her plot, her characters. Something kept me engaged to the end. But the reason I was not happy and one of the main things she did that annoyed me, and this also annoyed me in The Girl in the, uh, the girl from the Train, is one of the main ways in which this mystery is re- revolved. This is about a woman who's on a boat. She thinks she sees a certain passenger. She thinks she sees that passenger killed. And then no one on the boat admits to ever seeing that woman. And I'm not spoiling anything. That's on the, the flyleaf there. 
one of the main ways this story is set up is that she's had too much to drink Mm -hmm. the night that all of that happens. And I just can't stand it when a mystery book uses, oh, I've had too much alcohol as a reason why you might not remember what happened or why you might have distorted memories or why people wouldn't believe you. Yeah, that's not a mystery. That's bad judgment. (laughs) (laughs) It just drove me nuts. So um, that's just one I'll put a little asterisk next to. Other other than that one, my one quibble with her her plotting there, uh, it was it was kind of interesting. But that's my summer books. How about you? Well, I also have just read Like a Fiend this summer, and happily so. I was thinking, you know, with everything going on with this international move and not knowing where my library was when I first got here and how to download Kindle from the UK site, but to my US Kindle, all these kind of complications nonetheless persevered have read a ton um one that i probably enjoyed the most is in paperback now and it's by one of my favorite authors if you don't know her look her up curtis sittenfeld and this book is called eligible it is a retelling of pride and prejudice set in yes cleveland ohio it is delightful it is so charming it is so witty it is just pop culturally skewering it is fantastic go get it right now loved it as as is almost everything by Curtis I love love her work I'm so glad to hear that she is one of my favorite authors and American Wife is one of my top 10 all-time favorite books. yes amen love that book absolutely um moving on from perhaps more high concept to another series have you read the Stephanie Plum novels by Janet Evanovich no, I've, I've had those recommended to me, but I have not picked one of those up. So sometimes you just need to kind of turn off your brain, laugh out loud. Stephanie Plum is a bounder honey in New Jersey who always gets her man in a crazy and madcap way. Lots, like literally laughing out loud. And also there's lots of food in these books. It's wonderful. She is from an Italian family. She's constantly eating with her sidekick. It's, it is they are delightful for when you just need that little bit of you. There's never any question. Stephanie's going to get her guy and you know how the book will end. But sometimes that's exactly what you need. And they're really good for, for beach reading. The one, um, one for food related, and I'm not sure that this one is available in the U.S., but if it is, it's worth seeking out. And it's called The Plumberry School of Comfort Food by Kathy Bramley. And this was also... <gasps> That title yes. alone. It is, again, it's just kind of escapist. It's not fluff, though. It, it's got more of, uh, you know, some some good um, some good subplots and, again, tons of great food about a group of folks who start a cooking school in a picturesque, um, idyllic English town and really enjoyed that. Interestingly, Andrea, it was released, I guess you'd still call this a serial, but in kind of sections. So uh, four like mini books were released and then you can also get it in one larger volume. So um, seek that out if it's available via Kindle or or it would be well into paperback at this point. But um, she's got a bunch of others that I'm excited to have found a new a new author. Um, Oh, I can't wait to try those. Yeah, that sounds right up my alley. And then the one that I'm interested in for this fall is by Felicia Yap. And it's called Yesterday. It has, as far as I can tell, nothing to do with food. But it is also a murder mystery, but in a world where no one can remember more than two days in the past. Well, that just sounds like my regular world. (laughs) (laughs) 
has been. <laughs> has Felicia been spying on me? That's hilarious. Um, but also, as I'm looking at my list, I see that Ruth Ware has another book called The Lying Game. Have you read that one? No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe another by that author if you were, you know, semi-intrigued with her. I know. Yeah. So many great Yeah. Books. That's a good point. So, so um, many. Yeah. And listeners, we will post these on our Pinterest board and um, probably throw them up there on Facebook as well. So you guys can comment if you liked or disliked these books. And more importantly, give us your recommendations because Stefan and I love to read and we love to hear what you're reading and what you've loved. Always. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Next week, we're wrapping up our month of packable treats with a breakfast on the go. Apple pie breakfast bars. Pie for breakfast? Of course. We'll also review the lemon drizzle cake and step into the gadget garage. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and you can download us on Google and Apple Podcast, both where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a five-star review. That'll help other people find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.